you are listening to the Liquid Flannel Podcast. I'm your host, Chuck, the guy that you think you might have gone to high school with, but you really actually didn't. I'm Brendan Williams, the guy that grew a beard and people don't recognize anymore. And I'm Matthew Hodges, who still doesn't have a good thing to introduce myself. Our intros are a little rough. They're not as good as the intro for that video that you sent us earlier, Matt. I just kept watching that over and over today. Oh, man. Yeah, everyone's new favorite Christmas album. Yeah, so I kind of wanted to call this something like This Week in Internet Weirdness or something like that. Uh, Because we had a real character show up on the Men's Lib subreddit who we didn't get along with and then he posted the just the most spectacularly odd rebuttal to us so the quick story is again men's lib is our subreddit where we talk about men's issues and this guy had made a video that was talking about gender politics and some of it had to do with online dating i guess but in general it was not quite up to par for what we like to see on Men's Lib. It was full of these generalizations, um, really just broad sweeping statements. And we we expect a little bit higher caliber uh, for Men's Lib posts. I didn't want to get into the substance of the thing with him when I was telling him I was removing the post. So I used the most obvious reason to remove it, which was unrelated you talking over video of you playing the sims video game isn't what we go for here (laughs) it was a it was about a 20 minute video of him playing the sims yeah so you sent us this video and i was just i was just so confused from the get-go because yeah he's just playing there's just video of someone playing the sims i don't even know if it's him or if there's just somebody else just playing the sims and then just apropos of nothing a dude talking about how much he loves Alex Jones and how <laughs> white privilege is isn't real and how online dating is terrible. Was that his first ever post? That was the first time he ever posted on Men's Lib, but I guess he has this whole YouTube channel. But yeah, his his video or one of them that we watched, it just starts off where he's like, "I was watching Alex Jones." And uh, at first I watched it just because I thought he was funny, but then he started making a lot of sense. That's your first mistake. And if you've ever watched <laughs> Alex Jones, that's like the last person that you would ever expect anyone to say this about. Because he's just a dude that just screams at the top of his lungs about like government conspiracies and how like they put chemicals in the water to turn people gay. While ripping his shirt off. Nothing gay about that. I think it's important with Alex Alex Jones to make the distinction that he buys any conspiracy theory, except apparently this most recent one about how Russia was intentionally influencing the U.S. election. Yeah, and he said that's a bridge too far. Yeah. There's no evidence, no evidence of this. You know, this is just this is wild conspiracy theorizing, and Wait a that second. was a surprising thing to hear from him. Wait a second. Since when does Alex Jones need evidence as a standard for anything that (laughs) that dude does? That is the question that literally everyone on Twitter asked when he tweeted that. One of his most ridiculous claims is that the Sandy Hook shooting is just a total conspiracy that the government faked it all just to take your guns away, which is totally what happened after 
Sandy Hook. All the guns right. got just got taken away. Seriously. I didn't even own a gun, and Obama showed up personally at my house to make sure that that was the case. <laughs> you know, it's weird because I didn't own a gun, and somebody, not Obama, showed up to my house, gave me a gun, and then punched me in the balls and took it away. So <laughs> I, I was pretty upset about that. But But let's put Sandy Hook right next to, you know, Russian CIA hacking. What's the evidence? I mean, obviously there was no evidence on Sandy Hook that, you know, they were going to, this was a false flag. But what was the evidence that has come out so far about the... So the CIA had put that out. I, I guess it's a little unclear because there have been CIA people talking to the media, but it lacked kind of like any sort of official public statement. A number of journalists said, like, we've independently confirmed with our sources that the CIA has determined that Russia did control a bunch of cyber espionage attacks against the United States government, against the Democratic National Committee files where they got the emails and leaked them, and also against the Republicans, although they seem to have not chosen to release that material, hmm. even though they, they did gain access to it. Their goal was, it seems, to influence the election to help Donald Trump to win uh, okay. because Trump seems to be extremely sympathetic <laughs> towards Russian political interests mm -hmm. uh, and that they might be using some of the material that they gained by hacking the Republican to hold that as kind of like uh, like blackmail material to say, look, do what we want or we'll release this secret stuff that we found. Wow. I think part of the theory is also not necessarily that Trump has... Russian ties or Russian sympathies so much as he is in a general sense destabilizing to American interests, which is in the interest of Russia. Basically create as much havoc as they can to with our system. And the relationship between the U.S. and Europe and NATO because it opposes Russia's goal of expanding and like taking over Ukraine, the apparently, which is what they want to do. States, yeah. Right, to reform the, the USSR or something eventually, or to just drill a bunch of oil in the Arctic, which the US and Europe yeah. have been saying, like, maybe you shouldn't do that. And yeah. now, if they can get Trump in there, you know, maybe he's going to be like, yeah, let's appoint the CEO of ExxonMobil as Secretary of State, Russia. Right. How about that? It's a lot of money to be made in that Arctic oil. And if you look at Putin over the years, his leadership in the Soviet Union, it's kind of like, who are the guys that he seems to surround himself by? It's always those oligarchic figures in Russia, and most of them have ties to, you know, the energy industry. And they're billionaires. And what's Trump? He's just, you know, a billionaire oligarch type figure with ties with people in the energy industries, various sectors of the energy industry. So it almost just makes sense that this would be the guy Putin would want to be president that he'd want on the other side of the table. But again, all of that is just kind of it's all speculative right now. And that it plays to Trump's strengths because he's able to you know, say just like, well, no one knows. No one really knows. Who can say? I could do the worst thing imaginable. And that's usually what his uh, first inclination appears to always be. <laughs> so. Right. 
it, it's to just say like yeah who, who's to say what's right and wrong or what's true or false really you know anything what's really disturbing about this though is that that assessment that it was some sort of directed or orchestrated state effort on the part of Russia to disrupt the electoral process. That was a consensus among the 17 different U.S. intelligence agencies before people voted. Um, And it's not like the news didn't get out because Hillary Clinton stated that explicitly during the third presidential debate. But yet Trump still will go out and tweet why didn't anyone talk about this before the election if it was such a big deal? It's like, well, no, they did all the time. He'll do that and, on the other hand, erode confidence in the CIA by publicly attacking their consensus right. on Twitter. Well, and people's estimation of the CIA has been pretty shifty and wishy-washy <laughs> this, since this election cycle. So. For sure. I mean, Trump's strength is to play off of what Republicans have been saying for a long time is that look you can't trust the government unless they're doing something that I agree with (laughs) then you can trust them if they're doing something that I don't agree with that's the time where Trump is stepping in and saying well you can't trust these guys this is what I've been saying this whole time which is is a message that resonates with a lot of people but also that Trump can just use to his advantage because he can basically just set it up that he's the ultimate arbiter of what is truth it's whatever Trump says. If anybody else just deigns to disagree with what Trump has decided is true, they're just irrelevant, they're wrong, they're politically motivated, they're just out to get him. And it's a remarkably consistent position that he holds. Consistent in inconsistency. <laughs> well, the consistency is, it's all about him, right? It's all about him. It all comes down Trump-centric. to Trump-centric. Right, so if, it's, if, if he's right and someone agrees with him, it's because he's so smart. And he's so powerful. If he's wrong and someone has the temerity to call him on it, like the union guy from the carrier jobs that he oh, did. Yeah. He, he went and he gave that speech a carrier, said, like, I'm saving all these jobs. And then a couple days later, the union boss from the plant was like, Trump came and lied to our faces about saving all the jobs. He's not saving all the jobs. The number of jobs is dropping all the time. And the CEO of carrier is saying... Thanks for the seven million in tax breaks. We're gonna save. First, it was like two thousand. Then it was one thousand. Then it was eight hundred. Now it's like maybe seven hundred. We'll have seven hundred jobs, and then we're gonna take all that seven million dollars you gave us, and we're gonna reinvest that in automation. Right, and and of the jobs that aren't leaving, a lot of those weren't slated to leave ever because they were jobs in R and D and management you know, things that you actually keep in the United States anyway. Right, yeah, different types of roles that weren't going to get offshored to Mexico in the original deal anyway. And so this guy called Trump out on it and said, Trump came and he lied to our faces. He prides himself on being the greatest deal maker of all time. If you are going to be the greatest deal maker of all time, get your numbers straight. He didn't make a mistake when he said, we saved thousands of jobs. And he he knew it was only 700 jobs or less than a thousand. He's overstating it purposefully. This guy called him on it, and then Trump turns around and just says, like, you know who's really the worst? That union guy. He's terrible. He's the one that's ruining all the jobs, not me. Um, And that guy's name, by the way, is Chuck Jones. He just created a Twitter profile. He put in the uh, description, I may not know much about social media, but I damn sure know a liar when I see one. And basically, it's just 
created this thing to call out Trump. It's pretty fun. You should right. get on and it. I, I think he's a great example of standing up to Trump and really exposing Trump's lies. The lies that he's trying to say to make himself look good and to make people feel good about the things that he's doing is saying, like, look, how can you be against I'm saving the jobs? This guy is able to stand up and say, like, well, I can be against it because you're lying. <laughs> you're just blatantly lying hmm. about what you accomplished and you're hurting the people that you're claiming to help. And the whole framing of the issue, there's nobody on any side of any political aisle that doesn't want to save jobs. So even framing the issue as, I'm pro-saving jobs and you're against saving jobs, is itself a lie. Right. And, and when you look at this amazing carrier deal where he saved 700 jobs and they got $7 million in tax breaks. Right. That's not a good deal. It's absolutely ridiculous for him to try to claim this is a great deal for America. I'll tell you what it is. It is a great blueprint for how businesses can jerk the government around, though. <laughs> so Yeah, that's absolutely right, Chuck. And also, I think it's important to note that that approach to job saving is exactly the opposite of what he claimed he would do during the campaign, which was... Not paying people to keep jobs here, but instead penalize companies right, yeah. that offshored their jobs. Now, economic experts have looked at that plan and said, that's a great way to start a trade war. That would be a terrible approach. But to, to do exactly the opposite of what his stated strategy was, and then turn around and say, this is how you save jobs, and for people to applaud yeah. him for that speaks to a running thread of our past few episodes where we have this disconnect between what actually happens and what people feel has happened. Keeping that running thread going, he's appointing the CEO of Hardee's, <laughs> Carl's Jr., which I guess is the same restaurant, the same terrible fast food restaurant with the Baconator Ugh. that <laughs> has two <laughs> names for some reason. Can I just do an aside and say that the name Carl's Jr. has always just bugged the hell out of me? Because what sort of grammatical construction is that? Right, like, Carl's is possessive. Like, it's a junior possessive. <laughs> yeah. But so, yeah, so Trump, uh, Trump appoints this guy as the Secretary of Labor, and this guy is opposed to raising the minimum wage. He owns fast food restaurants, yeah. and he's also on record as saying how much he loves automation and how he wants to eliminate the need for employees because they're too costly yeah. and just replace them with automated machines that can just do make the food instead of workers. Not just that the employees are too costly, but that the government is making the labor too costly. Right. Yeah. Which, you know, in some ways, yeah, it, it is costly to have human labor. And the fact that the healthcare system is set up in a way where being forced to pay the healthcare for their employees instead of the government providing that for the citizens, right. you know, it is shifting the costs onto a business in a way that can be gamed by the employers to abuse people by, you know, not letting them work enough to get affordable healthcare. But to appoint him the Secretary of, of Labor is laughable and ridiculous when Trump's stated goal is to bring the working class and these blue-collar jobs back. 
right. that's completely at odds with everything that this guy stands for. Well, he wants to bring back the trucky or the mining jobs and those kind of jobs, but he wants to get rid of the fast food jobs. I mean, those jobs were never leaving. So, well, and the the sad irony is that that trend toward automation in fast food because uh, McDonald's has been working on this for quite a while where you would go into a McDonald's and you just punch your order in on a friendly robot that assembles it right there for you. You know, no person working the grill necessary. That's been a trend. The irony is that that sort of automation is exactly what has put coal miners out of jobs. At this point, it's a small handful of guys running huge automated equipment and just stripping all of the rock off of a mountain um, to get to the coal that's there. So even if you were to make coal competitive again, which isn't really an economic reality given the low price of natural gas and the rise of alternative fuels, it wouldn't bring those jobs back. The CEO could go out there and say, like, if it wasn't for this darn government, I'd just have so many more jobs for robots. (laughs) You know, it's just completely exposed as a total diversion tactic to just blame well it's the government's fault that i want to automate and get rid of all the jobs where it's like well no it's not you were going to do that anyway because the in the long run that's the most cost effective thing (laughs) for you to do right uh if you're not going to lose business over it then it's going to save you money in the long run so to try to shift the blame to say well it's the government's fault for automation is completely transparently ridiculous But this guy's going to do that while Trump is president. So that's going to not look real great for Donald Trump. And whether he likes it or not, this is an issue that he's going to have to address and have to deal with. And he is completely unprepared to do so. Unprepared, unqualified completely. And the other thing is, is like, even if this automation does happen soon enough to, you know, really adversely affect lots of people here under that administration, all those people are just going to go towards a social benefit program or welfare program. And then I can't wait for people to start saying, well, maybe Trump's the biggest food stamp president we've ever had <laughs> and those kind of things. I'm just waiting for all of the the equal digs to come in, waiting for it to cut both ways. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, but if you're if you're simultaneously getting rid of jobs through automation, these regular economic mechanisms and blaming it on the government, as Brandon pointed out. And you've got this ongoing narrative that the government itself is not to be trusted. To what extent are people going to really evaluate the concrete actions taken by the Trump administration? And to what extent are they just going to keep believing that their plight is the fault of a faulty government. It's harder for them to make that argument when they literally control all three branches of government simultaneously to literally keep saying, as they have been when Obama's in charge, to say, look, it's the government's fault, it's the government's fault. But now when they control the House, the Senate, the presidency, probably they're going to have a conservative majority on the Supreme Court once Trump starts making appointees. I think it just rings totally hollow and false if they can continue to say 
hey, it's the government's fault. Right. But that's been an ongoing that's been an ongoing strategy for the GOP for decades now, which is basically we don't believe the government should have power. So we're going to take as much government power as we can, make the government function poorly, and then tell people, see how poorly the government functions? This is why we need less government. But in so many ways, they don't want less government because whenever they're in power, they are trying to make the government do all kinds of crazy stuff that it never did before. Increase all this spending on the military, they want to give all these tax breaks to the rich. To Trump's credit, he has been really mad at planes lately and how much money the government wastes on planes, which <laughs> I can't I can't totally disagree with him there. So this all started when he was tweeting about how Boeing was contracted to make a new Air Force One, or I guess you have to make two of them because there's two like copies of and it's gonna cost billions and billions of dollars. And Trump was like, I already have a plane. I don't understand why the government's wasting all this money on Air Force One. And it's like, cancel order. Right. I'm going to save you money. And it's like, do you even know what Air Force One is? (laughs) It's not a normal plane. It's a plane that's built to survive nuclear blasts. Oh, no, it's it's a it's a technological marvel. Right. Yeah, it's it's hardened against any kind of electronic interference. It's also basically a flying white house which means it has living quarters and constant communication with the situation room it's a pretty amazing construction and it's not if you think about it for a few seconds it's not that remarkable that it's that expensive to engineer something like that but trump has absolutely no idea what any of that does and he's just like i already have a plan it's fine right this is what a waste of money and you know what's really funny or terrifying about the true cost of his ignorance. You know, ProPublica mentioned Lockheed Martin's market value dropped $4 billion after Trump sent out the tweet criticizing the cost of the F-35 program. Yeah, that was after the the Boeing thing. And then he's also mad that Boeing is selling uh, planes to Iran. But yeah, then he tweeted the F-35 fighter jet program is a huge waste of money as well. Which, yeah, on that one, I totally agree with Trump that the government is wasting a ridiculous amount of money on this F-35 program to build this high-tech fighter jet where we already have the most high-tech fighter jets in the world, but they want to just build the even more higher-tech ones and they keep having all these technical problems because they're so complicated. And there's really no use for these planes anymore because people are not... It's not Top Gun. We're not having plane to plane dogfight combat. That just doesn't occur anymore. But isn't it just crazy how much the markets can be affected just by single tweets that are based on really just his whim? That's impressive to me. He has the biggest podium in the world, and he's still treating it as if he's running a campaign. He doesn't take it seriously at all. And It's all the more revealing how huge and problematic all these conflicts of interest are where you don't even know if Trump owns stock in Lockheed Martin. He could literally be going out and saying, like, I'm going to buy this stock and then tweet, like, this is the best company ever. (laughs) Or, you know, or short it and then say, like, they're the worst company and I hate them. 
And he's just moving the markets hugely just with his every word. He still refuses to reveal his finances. Yeah. It's completely ludicrous. Well, he stopped even having those meetings about how his fi- um, his business interests were going to be divested off. Just pushing <laughs> the date back. I got you. Right. What if he just keeps pushing it back for four years? Oh, he probably will. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it'll just be a plan where he's like, I am going to have the least conflicts of interest of any president ever. You're going to get sick of how little conflicts of interest yeah. I have. Trump, can you get some conflict? We're tired of this lack of conflict of interest. Nobody <laughs> nobody has less conflicts of interest than me. <laughs> the cherry on this is then he tweets about how Boeing is selling planes to Iran and how we need to put a stop to this because Iran is so evil. They're the bad guys. They can't be buying planes from us. To which Boeing responded, our deals with Iran create thousands of jobs in the United States and if we cancel this deal Iran's just going to take their money and go somewhere else and give some other country the jobs really calling Trump on his own logic there it's just so amazing how short-sighted Trump is that he doesn't realize that his words actually matter now because he's so used to being in the 24-hour media cycle world where Everything he says just can slide right off his back and he can change his mind the next day and it doesn't matter one bit. Oh, yeah. And he's not in that world anymore at all. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, well, they, they've they been playing it a lot lately about how uh, he criticized Obama for um, not getting intelligence briefings. <laughs> On multiple occasions. Right. Saying, oh, Obama is too busy golfing to get his intelligence briefings. Which wasn't even true. Oh, of course. You know, but, and now they're like, well, it sounds like you've been missing. Some. He's like, I get them when I need them. I mean, if anything changes, they'll let me know. They know I'm <laughs> no. I'm there at a moment's notice. His direct quote was like, I don't guy. need to hear the same thing every day because I'm like a smart person. Yeah. That's literally his direct quote. Yeah, and, and meanwhile, he's still somehow... On the campaign trail, doing this thank you tour that has him in four different cities over the period of five or six days. Can't imagine that that leaves a whole lot of time for him to be taking the job seriously, getting his intelligence briefings, which I understand can be pretty lengthy. Well, between his share farewell tour, which he's been going on for forever now. The tour is never going to stop. But I feel like you're going to get diminishing returns here. Clearly in the election, his rallies were great for him. It really helped get people excited about his candidacy and excited about getting out there and supporting him and and voting for him. That's not happening anymore. Now he needs to govern. And if he keeps holding rallies instead of governing, that's a big problem for him just on the optics of it. I just don't see how that's a sustainable model, even within his most fervent supporters. You know, between the rallies and between watching SNL, I don't know how much time he truly has to do anything. So. Yeah, I think they need to go on SNL and read his security briefings just to him. Just start reading it because that's the only way to get him to pay attention. They're like, SNL, unwatchable. <laughs> these security briefings. He can't keep a secret, so they may as well be broadcasting it on NBC. Because if he hears something he doesn't like, he's going to tweet about it anyway. I can't even get mad at Trump not paying attention to his intelligence briefings. Because I almost think it'd be worse if he was paying attention because then he'd want to do something. <laughs> you know, like, I'll keep, yeah. him, keep him as far away from, this, from the seriousness 
of the security briefings yeah. as possible. <laughs> That's not where I want Trump to say, like, I want to be really involved right. in this directly. He's floated General James Mattis as the Secretary of Defense, which may actually be a good pick for that position. Obviously, we don't have access to classified intelligence, but he has, and he seems to have done a pretty good job with it. But I read that Trump was shocked when he had a conversation with Mattis about the Iran nuclear deal, that Mattis is very much in favor of it, or at least not opposed to it to the extent that Trump is <laughs> and to the extent that Trump campaigned on that issue. It turns out that bringing them back to the negotiating table is probably better for national security. And I think that was a big wake-up call for him, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out if his Secretary of Defense is telling him, no, we can't abandon this deal that's been crafted. He's built so much of his foreign policy around the idea that any dealings with Iran at all are a weakness to the United States, they're empowering terrorism, and you've got basically the, the highest expert in that field telling you, no, you can't say that. You can't be tweeting that. That guy, when I first, you know, kind of heard that Trump was appointing him as a secretary of defense, I was like, mad dog doesn't sound like a great dude. But then I read up on the guy and yeah, he sounds like he actually is a really smart dude. And I think he can appeal to Trump in that level because it's clear that Trump respects him yeah. and his military career. And I think that he can really help Trump understand how he can actually use his strengths, right? If Trump's right. the guy who loves to make deals, the Iran deal is better than a war, right? Right. And I think this dude agrees with that position and can communicate that to Trump effectively. When he was doing military intelligence in Iraq, would go to people and say, stop rolling through town in tanks and just like walk up, take your sunglasses off, shake people's hands. If you want to stop the attacks rolling through in your armor-plated tank is going attack. instead of you know stepping back interacting with people on a human level then they don't want to attack you yes. uh and that's a much smarter strategy so I i'm glad that there's that influence in the in the trump campaign and, and i've said from the start too i don't think trump is a guy who necessarily wants to go to war i do worry about if there's some sort of terrorist attack <laughs> that he'll freak out and then want to go to war. But I think generally, he's not a guy coming in saying, like, we need to just start bombing Iran immediately, which is what some Republicans in the past have been saying is that the, what they want the policy to be. Yeah, interestingly, among them, John McCain, who has come out as being one of the staunchest Trump opponents on a number of different steps that he wants to take. Well, and even including being critical of Trump's Secretary of State selection, I mean, John McCain said, yeah, we're going to give this guy a fair hearing and everything, which, by the way, is more than what Obama ever got for anything. But it is alarming that this guy has so many connections to Putin. So in a way, I feel like this, you know, Mattis guy is going to be the version of McCain that Trump will actually listen to. <laughs> right. I mean, if McCain has any shot or any message with any overlap, his only chance is going to be through Mattis. It is promising that we've got people like McCain, like Rand Paul, like even Ben Sass from Nebraska, who I disagree with about a lot of things. 
he has also shown that he is willing to stand up to Trump when Trump is going too far. And it could also lead to instances of bipartisanship. I wish we could have got a little bit of that under Obama. Right. That would have been nice, you guys. Well, it's easier to work with people when you feel like there's a metaphorical gun behind your head, you know? So (laughs) it's like the earth depends on it right now. So um, let's try to counterbalance this. Well, I think that might be a good place to take a break here for a second. Jump back in to some more greatness. (laughs) We'll make it great again. Welcome to Carl's Jr. Would you like to try our extra big-ass taco? Now with more molecules. Enjoy your extra big-ass fries. You didn't give me no fries. I got an empty box. Would you like another extra big-ass fries? I said I didn't get any. Thank you. Your account has been charged. Your balance is zero. Please what? come back when you can afford oh, to make no, a purchase. No. I'm sorry you're having come trouble. Come on. I'm My sorry kids are starving. Your kids are starving. Carl's Jr. believes no child should go hungry. You are an unfit mother. Your children will be placed in the custody of Carl's Jr. Carl's Jr. Fuck you. I'm eating. Welcome to Carl's Jr. Would you like to try our extra big-ass taco? Now with more molecules. So, I mean, what do you think about the efforts that some people are undertaking currently to try to get the electors, who are the people who are actually going to go and cast the electoral votes to legally make Trump the president, people are saying, well, hey, you don't have to vote for Trump. Who cares about the rules? We're in Trump world now. Yeah, dude. The rules don't matter. Yeah. I do have a couple of thoughts on that. The first one is that I think that there isn't a snowball's chance in hell that those efforts are going to be successful. That's not the system as it's set up, which leads into my second thought on it, which is we're going to have violence in the streets if we ended up with the number of unfaithful electors that we would need to overturn the Trump election. Trump is, and the Republicans are so good at saying, well, if you do that, we're going to light everything on fire. Just like when they were like, we're going to shut the government down. We need to repeal Obamacare or defund Planned Parenthood or whatever. And the Republicans actually did it. They shot themselves in the foot and everyone hated them. Not enough to not vote for them in the midterms, of course. course, Everyone hated them is a massive overstatement, isn't it? Well, they hated them at the time that it was happening. But then two months later, they forgot about it. Someone can be terrible and they're going to say, but they're not a Democrat. And that's good enough. Again, this whole team sports thing is just completely ridiculous. And again, silver linings with Trump. You know, I think he's crazy enough that he's not a Republican and he's not going to be popular with Republicans or Democrats, that maybe he's the one that can bring bipartisanship back. But it's going to be privatized bipartisanship. All of his billionaire buddies are going to win. Okay, so we have Democrats and Republicans. Those are the two major parties. Those are not definitions of the different politics of this country. Leftists vote Democrat, but don't agree with a lot of what that party does. Conservatives, Tea Party conservatives, and the alt-right vote Republican, but don't necessarily agree with everything that party stands for. I think the actionable point from that is for people who oppose Trump to stop using the language of party affiliation 
and speak more to values because there are plenty of people who may vote Republican but wouldn't call themselves a Republican except in an election year. The parties don't necessarily represent the people who vote for the parties. So let's reach out to people based on their values and not on their team affiliation. I was listening to uh, a really interesting thing on a podcast the other day where they were talking about the framing of the issues with values. If you're trying to persuade somebody that would be conservative, persuade them with the conservative values that register to them, like patriotism, taxation, fiscal issues, those kind of things. So when you put it to them like that, I mean, it's almost like calling the conservatives kind of rap culture, you know, like if it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense to them. (laughs) Right, right, right. So if you just, it's, it should literally, the short term issue should be about framing these important critical issues in those type of values. That's the only way that you're going to have any chance of pulling any kind of support. The way that you talk to somebody who tends to vote for the Republican Party about those issues, it's to talk about how America is built on every person being able to make the best for themselves within an employment regime where you don't have any power over your workplace, you don't have any ownership in the company that you work for, that's a thing that could resonate. You can appeal to them on an emotional level and say, look, the the narrative of people being able to pull themselves yes. up is alive and well in America. Your employer is not helping with that. Here's an alternative. Another great example of this is the message about the environment. People from the left often are coming at the environmental thing saying, look, you can't deny this science. The science is is black and white. And then Republicans are like, oh, I can't deny the science. Can I? (laughs) Yeah, watch me deny the science right now. Science is Satan's tricks to hide you from God's magic love. But you can couch it in terms to say like, environmentalism is caring for God's creation. Man is the caretaker bestowed by God over the natural domain. And we need to do a better job of honoring God's gifts. Where someone from the left is never going to make that argument because they don't believe that argument themselves. But that's an argument that's compelling to the other side. If I could refine that point a little bit from an environmentalist perspective to appeal to people who are campers and huntsmen, um, people who they already have places in the world that they love and they don't want to see them exploited, have them, you know, have all of the forests that I used to camp in in Wyoming die from a pine beetle infestation that comes from climate change related issues. So you got guys out there fly fishing and they're like, you know what would be awesome right here is just like a huge industrial logging and strip mining operation (laughs) right here at my favorite fishing hole. It has to come from this fiscal side, from, from the pro job side. I mean, you have to show that there are legit growth industries and and show that you can achieve the American dream of infinite wealth, which seems to be the value of the conservative mind when it comes to pro-business, but doing it from the conservation-minded aspect. And that's one way, if you can hit it on the religious angle, on the business angle, right. 
on the savings angle, the job creation angle. Right. Then the science is irrelevant. Exactly. But that's so hard for someone who values the science so strongly to even think about right. what that what that would mean. And it's so hard for them to to envision making those type of arguments because those arguments would not be compelling to them. The other useful rhetorical trick from, you know, an economic environmentalist argument is to actually put a dollar amount on environmental services. Uh, I met a guy one time, he was an activist who was trying to preserve this big grassland area. He figured out, he and his team figured out the economic value of the pollinating insects that lived in this area and were able to slap a price tag on it. And it ended up being something like a billion and a half dollars a year in agricultural environmental service that these pollinating insects were doing. And immediately protections went straight through that Congress. As soon as you could, as soon as you could frame it in fiscal terms, more people were listening to you. And there are a bunch of different ways to do that. We can talk about overexploiting water resources. You know, you can tell a community in Nebraska, look, you need to be interested in the flow of the Colorado River. If the water's not coming from the Colorado, then it's coming from the Platte. The Platte is where you're getting your water already. So we need people to come to the table who have a financial stake in these environmental outcomes. And I think that framing it just in terms of dollars and cents makes a lot of sense. You know, I'm, I'm hopeful that maybe some Democrats can get on board with that and can get some coalitions and bipartisanship built that, you know, maybe wouldn't have happened under normal circumstances. And it doesn't have to entail selling out the farm, which I feel like sometimes is Democrats' first instinct of what bipartisanship means. It's like... Well, we've got to do something we don't want to do. No, you have to just be better at framing what you want to do and negotiating it better. Trump is is a president that really his interactions are based on those terms, right? right. Is hit me with your best deal. Yep. Um, if you come language. out and yeah, if you come at him with a better deal, <laughs> what's he gonna do? Right. Word of this gets out, it could generate sympathy for the rebellion in the Senate. Bill, what I said, including my remarks right afterward, she said it was very unfair the way the media... She'll die before she'll tell you anything. You've known me for a long time, Bill. I do get along with people. I deal with foreign countries. I've made a lot of money dealing against China. I've made a lot of... plans are not aboard this ship, and no transmissions were made. And I did something, you know, of, I mean, I employ thousands of people. I employ, you know, I, I don't know if you saw it, but the Nevada poll just came out and it was fantastic. A long time ago, in a galaxy far away, alt-right online protesters were calling for a boycott of Star Wars using hashtag dump Star Wars. Star Wars Rogue One, the new the new movie coming out, one of the writers on, on that movie tweeted, The Empire is a white supremacist organization. And then later deleted that tweet because people started freaking out, saying that Star Wars was anti-Trump feminist propaganda. Because... <laughs> They because just like with Pizzagate, once they started looking at it, they were like, wait a minute, this whole movie is a conspiracy to not let white men be in movies anymore because the main character's a girl, a bunch of other non-white people happen to be in the movie, along with some white people as well. Where do you even start on this? I mean, 
we saw precursors of this with Mad Max Fury Road, I think was the first real online manifestation of this sentiment. So then this narrative did rise to something like a low-grade fever pitch over Star Wars The Force Awakens, the Episode Seven film, because it starred primarily a woman and a black man, and there was even this conspiracy theory... Star Wars The Force Awakens was subliminal messaging about the weakness of the white man because the main white character in that film was the droid, BB-8, uh, which they referred to as the little white cuck ball. <laughs> oh, my God. It's too perfect. Right, so, of course, all these people on Twitter are trying to get dump Star Wars apparently trending as if a boycott the new Star Wars movie is going to be it's going to be just as effective as boycott Hamilton no you just you can't get a ticket to go see Hamilton period so boycotting it is a completely empty gesture but one of the main responses I saw to the dump Star Wars hashtag was I'll buy that ticket like yeah. that that's a seat that just opened up in my local theater. So then the CEO of Disney of course has to respond to this groundswell movement that's just sh- taking over America. He says this whole story has been overblown and quite frankly it's silly. This is a film the world should enjoy. It's not a film that is in any way a political film. There are no political statements in it at all. It has one of the most greatest and diverse casts of any film. And we're very proud of that, and that is not a political statement at all. (laughs) (laughs) Let's unpack that a little bit, because his response to the furor over this movie was the right one, which is to say this is a ridiculous thing. But to go as far as to say Star Wars is apolitical is really missing the mark. I think that's a major missed opportunity there. Right. This is a movie where they fight space Nazis, literally called stormtroopers. Right, and if you dig into the if you dig into the EU, uh, the extended universe of Star Wars, at least before the major reboot, you find out that the Empire actually had policies in place to exclude women and other races and species, of which you have many in the Star Wars universe. Right. So even the stories before Rogue One talked about diversity, multiculturalism anti-authoritarianism, anti-racial hegemony. To just come out and say, like, movies shouldn't be... It's like, no! (laughs) Just just own it! Just be like, no, this is an important story that everyone in America needs to see right now. How hard is it to defend your movie, which is already going to be the most popular movie ever... Just stand up for it and say, yes, this is a, you know, this is a movie that we're putting out there at a very important time, you know, in America. And I think everyone should see it and take away these messages uh, that resonate throughout time that you have to stand up, you know, to oppression and injustice, you know, wherever you see it or whatever. You know, it's not hard to do that. I think you're totally right. And frankly, I don't believe that what the CEO of Disney said reflects his actual views because I don't believe that anybody who is involved with the making of art ever believes that any piece of art could possibly be perfectly apolitical. So people who are saying, keep your politics out of my star Wars, a didn't understand star Wars and B 
are mostly objecting not to the fact that politics has now been injected into Star Wars, but the politics of Star Wars is not the one that they align with. They're like, this is not a story I want to hear. James Earl Jones was the head of the bad guys, and <laughs> how can a black dude be the voice of white supremacy, you know, in Well, space. that's when you take off that helmet. Oh, man. Secretly white But he was time. cryogenically whitenized. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he was in whiteface, but that wasn't him, right? So. No, it was like a totally different guy. So to close it out tonight, uh, Matt, you had uh, a story that you started to tell earlier, but we were going to close it out on a seasonally appropriate high note tonight. <laughs> yeah, that's right. right. An, an unexpectedly seasonally appropriate high note. So we talked at the beginning about this guy who made a post men's lib that I didn't think it was appropriate. Um, and he did as happens sometimes, send an an angry message to our mod team. Mostly angry about how I criticized it for being unrelated Sims footage with him talking over it. And concludes with, I don't care if you remove this post. Instead, you can allow this subreddit to continue to decline and to end up to be another sad hole where guys post fake articles about being wronged by feminists. But that's not what your community is about. That's what, like, the men's rights community is about. Did he get confused? (laughs) Right. I think that he was very confused, and I think that the follow-up will demonstrate just how confused he actually was. A couple of days later, he made another post in Men's Lib that was another video of his that starts off sort of along the same lines of being mad at our approach. Now, I've read some of the criticism for some of my videos on Reddit, and so I realized that I I need to quickly remove the videos. Instead, I'm going to completely change the channel. It's not about men. It just isn't politically correct enough. So instead, what I've decided to do is this channel is going to be completely just non-offensive, very, very nice, much more focused on social justice and feminism, and I believe it's just much more important to do that. Okay, so you may not think from that audio that what's about to happen could possibly be what's happening. But as one of my mods put it, have you ever been so angry that you recorded a Christmas album? Now, instead of doing an inflammatory video that's um, just offensive against feminists and just not proper and is, you know, perpetuating the patriarchy, I've decided to record a Christmas album that I think is going to be a lot better. Um, I hope you all enjoy it. Thank you very much, and get ready. Welcome to this Christmas. Only comes one time a year. Don't miss this. I just want to welcome you to Christmas. Let me sneak into your speakers. Listen, I'll be singing. Oh, 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 oh. He ends up giving us this gift. This amazing gift of just covering Christmas songs. 
for another 20 minutes or something. He's decided to redirect the whole tone of his channel away from talking about any kind of social justice issues, and instead he wants to talk about last Christmas. There are worse ways to show your anger online. I gotta right. give props yep. to this guy for doing it in a, I guess, not negative way? Right, an artistic outlet. It's just he's he's having he's having fun with it, and he's not doubling down on on vitriol which is good that's positive i think this lost soul can be won back over to the light side i think you're right but in the meantime i think this may be history's only ever example of a christmas album created out of spite i'm not so sure about that (laughs) oh yeah exactly you don't know the story behind bing crosby and david bowie Of all of the interactions we've had on Men's Lib, this is probably the weirdest one, but also probably the most positive uh, because the guy turned his frustration into something constructive. And so we were glad for the Christmas present of this guy's Christmas album that he made out of spite. That is literally and metaphorically a high note. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, um, thank you for that high note, Matt. And thank you for listening to us. Uh, you've been listening to Liquid Flannel Podcast. Again, rate us on iTunes. Our buddy Showy, who's one of our faithful listeners for uh, the wonderful review on iTunes, we'd love to see more of that, said, understandable spin on amazing content that's very entertaining. Highly recommended, especially to those who are looking for a progressive look at today's political environment with a pop culture twist. I almost thought we should... Uh, we should hang it up and retire at that point because then we can say we retired with the five-star review. <laughs> you know, we went out on a high note. Any review will help us out tremendously. Any constructive criticism, that's great too. So thanks again. Um, this is Chuck uh, at Shaggy2Trope on Twitter. And I'm Brendan at Brendan Williams with one L. And I'm Matthew Hodges, uh, Matt the Great uh, with the W. Happy Christmas to all. Last Christmas I gave you my heart But the very next day you gave it away This year to save me from tears I'll give it to someone special Last Christmas I gave you my heart